Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we're talking about observation. And the front of the card has the goddess writing in a diary and her little deer animals looking over her shoulder over the papers, looking at it. And she is sitting cross-legged on a mountain, a beautiful scene behind her in nature. And what it says in the back is observation is the ability to observe and question our behaviors. When we can do this with a sense of detachment, curiosity, and no judgment like a scientist, we can then be safe enough to see our true behaviors. Only by seeing ourselves as clearly and honestly as possible can we start to understand our behaviors. So for me, like when I was struggling with my eating disorder that I just hated it. I hated it and hated it. And I couldn't understand why I had it and I just rebelled against it and I hated it so much. And it wasn't until somebody said, you know, have you thought about what it's doing for you? And step back to see what it is there for. And so Carol and I came up with the idea of being a scientist of that. I'm going to mix part A with part B and then see what happens. And if it blows up, the scientist is not mad at the experiment. The scientist says, oh, wow, that's weird. Let me write that down. So a long time ago when my mother was alive, the phone would ring. I'd go to the phone. I'd pick it up. It would be my mother. And my other hand was looking in the cabinet for cookies. (laughs) And it was that sort of awakening of cause and effect and that I could see that very clearly and have always used that. Well, if I'm doing something I don't like and I don't understand, maybe observe it like I was a scientist and take my personality out of it and just see what's just the facts, ma'am, if you will. That really helped me a lot in my own recovery. And of course, I talk a lot about it when I'm working with clients and with the cards. Today, we are very blessed to have Barbara talking to us about observation and all the millions of things she's doing, she's going to tell us. So... I will let her introduce herself and tell us what she's doing and where does observation come into that. Thank you, Laura Lee. It's so great to be here. And it was really hard to pick a card because there's so many that speak to everything that we do working with clients and even in my own recovery too. Recovered, I don't know, 40, 37, 40 years. I don't know. Um, (laughs) When you get up to those ages, you know, it's all a blur. It's true. But so what I do is I work with individuals one-on-one and I work with teaching a method that I developed over the years to both my clients. And also I have programs where I teach licensed health professionals this method that I developed called the behavior decoding method. And I just started deconstructing what 
my clients were doing. And this is what I did for myself. Unfortunately, when I was going through my eating disorder, I have to say during my whole time at UC Berkeley studying nutrition and through my master's degree, oh wow, <laughs> I could have gone on and gotten a PhD at that point and exactly. still had it, right? Uh-huh. It's not the knowledge out there. It's the knowledge. You were your own little animal testing. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't even know what it was. I mean, right. Nobody knew what it was. We weren't learning about it. It wasn't something that was, you know, really out there in the early mid seventies. Nobody knew about. It. I would go for help for, and they go, doctors were like, well, we're going to have to do surgery. Therapists were like, let's look at your relationships. Nobody knew about what. Nobody could delve into what was really going on. But one day, I was able to sit with myself and just reflect back, and deciding that I didn't want this to be this isn't me. This is not me. This is something else that I adapted to. And what is it? So I went through my history and it was almost like this little birdie or something or angel maybe sitting on my shoulder and whispering in my ear. And I went back to being a child and how I ate and it was all intuitive and we had abundance of food. I grew up on a farm in Illinois and my dad was a veterinarian. So we had lots of animals and just an abundance of pretty much everything in terms of living like that. And then I knew exactly when it started and everything just lined up. And I began to really question everything that I was doing, really observing, like you said, like a scientist. And what I say to my clients now is this is all an experiment. (laughs) We don't know what's going to work. What we work for one person is not going to work for somebody else specifically. Exactly. So if we're not getting the results that we want with our clients, maybe we don't have enough requisite variety which means enough tools. So I began to develop tools and more and more tools and researching the things that I was learning about myself through Jungian psychology, because I found that there was a symbolism very similar to Anita Johnston's work. And she and I worked together a lot and energy medicine, spiritual healing, which I then went back and got a degree in that in finished in 2007. I also had a ailing mother during that time. (laughs) So I had a year off during that. Yeah. So I came up with a way to cut through some of why we're doing what we're doing, but not just the why, because we could spend our lifetime trying to figure out why, but it's how am I generating the experience that I'm having and how can I generate the experience that I'd like to have in my life? And I am interested in when we talked the other day, you were saying decoding. And I really love that image. And it's sort of like a little Dakota ring, <laughs> you know, that you would get in a cereal box and what that it's like means. being a little detective. Yeah. I often tell my clients, although I am telling you how old I am by saying this, but I'll say, put on your Nancy Drew hat and be your own detective of what is going on here in this shadow place. Yeah. And something I could share today, if you want, is a quick decoding process. Let's do it. That people can do in real time. And this is the crux of the behavior decoding method. Okay. I also call it my umbrella of programs, the food and body code, because it is like a code. And when I teach this to professionals and coaches now, you have to follow the code and you can drop in any behavior in there and it's going to follow the code and it's all self-discovery. So quickly in real time, someone can do this when they notice that they're reaching for a behavior, but that's why I picked observation. Yeah, (laughs) because you have to notice. You You have have to know that is the beginning. I mean, compassion is also the first card and that's also a foundational piece 
I mean, every card speaks to this because it reveals creativity and trusting the process and the miracles that can come out. It follows the, you know, the spiral sort of thing. But I think the thing that I got the most out of developing all of this is that clients love it because it's self-discovery. I'm not telling them anything to do. And so it motivates and inspires and it creates a big transformation for them, even in something as simple as this. Simple, but not simple. Simple, but not always easy. Not, not always, always easy, easy to notice yes. yourself. You know, it's like Viktor Frankl's quote. I'm sorry, I don't have that posted in front of me because sometimes it's like telling a joke. You forget the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I forget. But something like between stimulus and response, there is a space. And then that space reveals our, I'm just going to paraphrase it because yeah. I'm of course. We have the opportunity to choose our response. So this is about creating a wedge in that space between us thinking about doing something and going and doing it. So it's not about necessarily stopping the experience at that time. If I do this, then I won't be able to do that. It's about just being more conscious. In that little moment. In those moments. In that little moment. It doesn't matter how big it is to start with. So every time that you can just go, time out, I notice I'm reaching. And it could be just the thought. Right. And this will start to expand that wedge so that pretty soon it becomes so big that, oh, what? I didn't even notice I wasn't doing that behavior anymore. Because now we're filling it with things that truly nourish us. So we find the intended positive outcome, the purpose, the meaning, the archetypal and symbolic messages that are within that. And then what else gives us that? And that's where their work is. And that's where we support them. So the major transformation can happen in one session or one time, and then it continues. I love that idea of getting in between me and the thing to smush myself in there, because sometimes it's a nanosecond. Sometimes it's a lot longer, but sometimes it's so fast. I feel like a lot of times we just want to hear from us. We have all kinds of things that we can say or do or whatever, but sometimes I just think this little part of us just needs us. It's just asking us for us. And some of this work helps people to identify those different parts of ourselves and be able to give voice to, because the eating disorder pretty much hijacks our true self. And so this starts to unravel that. And the way I approach my work with people and professionals is we're not trying to take away an eating disorder. We're not trying to get rid of it or divorce it or fire it, whatever. The qualities of that are the tenacity and the drive that it has. Where else might that be helpful in our lives <laughs> around our finances? Yeah. <laughs> right. Organizing our office, whatever that might be. It's about finding the intended positive outcome of what it's trying to do for us. Because we do things because it feels better than what came before. Always. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Every time. That's the thing about dieting that I came to realize is that I felt better when I decided to go on a diet because that meant I was in control, which then when I looked at that, oh, that's an illusion. 
oh, what am I going to do with the idea that I want control and that it's an illusion? So then what do I need to do about that? What can I just hang out with? Yeah. And being in charge, just even reframing that, being in charge of something has a completely different energy than being in control. You're either in control or out of control. And it's better to be out of the control. (laughs) For sure. Because then you can be in charge. As long as you're in control, you're controlling everything. You have little access to messages that are coming in when you're trying to control everything. Or failing to control. It's Again, that's an illusion to think that you're in control anyway. So when we think about observation, and like it says here, seeing ourselves as clearly and honestly as possible, I know for me, one of the things I needed was people outside of myself to mirror that to me. Because when I would look at myself, I didn't see it clearly. I saw a really distorted picture, like that like the image of somebody looking in the mirror and the person in the mirror doesn't even look like them at all, is way bigger, way taller, way uglier, way something. They don't really see themselves clearly, and I didn't for sure. How do you work with people to mirror their true selves back to them until they can do it for themselves? There's a variety of, in the decoding processes, there's different ways of doing that. So sometimes it's how that trigger happens. So it's looking in the mirror and noticing, and then what happens? Like you notice that, and then what happens after that? The thoughts, the judgments, what happens after that? The behaviors. (laughs) (laughs) The thoughts, behaviors, judgments. It gets all squished together. (laughs) Yeah. You look at yourself in the mirror, what's the little step that comes right before that and after that? So before that, there was something brewing, something's brewing. You look at yourself in the mirror. It's like, ah, whatever that is. And then all the words come up so we can decode the judgments about body is one. So they're never, ever about the body. I think there's a card on that. (laughs) Yes. Never, ever. And never, ever. And so this decoding process takes the person through the questioning so that they find out what is it about? And very easily and actually very quickly what that's about. And then they can see like, oh, no wonder. Because in the beginning of working with someone with that, they say, what do you mean? This is about my body. Look at me. I look terrible. See that? (laughs) You don't see that whatever that I see. So in doing that process, they actually get to experience what if it weren't about your body? What else would it be about? What other part of your life do those words describe? Perhaps. And when they find those, oh, those are more elusive, right? They're not things that they can really, oh, I know what to do about that. No, they are things that are big and broad, a family issue, a marriage issue, a financial issue, a career issue. They may not have that solution, so it gets translated onto the body, and then they're often running, literally, or doing any one of the behaviors to solve the problem, which is their body, and not what's really there. So then they're working on what's blocking that, and what can I do about that? What help and support do I need? And then they're we're identifying those levels of support, and they go work on that. And as a clinician, we're helping them do their own plan, and they mapped it out themselves. So it's a lot of remember when we saw what this was really about. That's what it still is there. (laughs) Yeah. So it could be the memory because, you know, I would have these ahas and then they would leave 
pretty quickly. And I would have to have somebody that would mirror that back to me. Wait, no, but remember this happened this one time? And when I'm working with a client, I'm scribing the process and then I send them a copy. So it's written in a chart. So they have a copy. If they're in treatment, the other team members have a copy. And we're all working towards, because it's not always in my area. And so it's in somebody else's area. Here, this would be a great thing for For you you to to do there. Right. Yeah. So if you were able to go back to this young girl being in school and deciding on some level an eating disorder would be a great way (laughs) to you know, live your life, but you were able to go back and sit on her bed. What would you say to her? First, I'd say that I'm really sorry <laughs> you know, that this <laughs> is happening and that we don't know what it is. We did not know what it was. And for me, it was a spontaneous thing. I had bulimia, it developed into bulimia, but I had spontaneous regurgitation. I call it, I couldn't stomach my life. So much anxiety. I started at 16, so it was, that was part of it. But it was also tons of family stuff. And I didn't know what was happening. Well, that's why I went to see all these doctors. And, oh, we'll just do surgery on you. So I would tell her, you know, it's not your fault. It's not anything that we chose. And you're not going to have this forever. You're not going to have it for that much longer. And there's a ton of lessons in there for you. It might not feel like it feels really lonely. It feels really secretive and around a lot of shame right now, but that's going to lift. This too shall pass and you will have a wonderful life. Yeah. And I remember when I first got clean and sober, I would hear these people say, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. And I would think, you're an idiot. (laughs) I hate you. But it took me a long time to really realize that actually my eating disorder is one of my greatest assets. It really showed me a lot about me that I'm not so sure I would have learned otherwise because I see other people. Or in a worse way, maybe. Yeah. It can be unwanted and detrimental, but it's still serving the purpose that's not being served currently when we're in the behavior. So it's just finding that nugget. It's finding what is that purpose? What is the meaning? What are the messages in it? And we need to include that, not get rid of it. We're not going to be doing the behaviors and behaviors in 40 years and don't even ever think about it. That's right. But the things that it taught me or that I needed to learn in order to recover, I don't know that I would have learned those because I see people who they haven't learned that. They've never looked at that. They haven't done that. And they haven't wanted to, and they haven't needed to, and they weren't driven to their knees to do it. So I would rather be me with all of this and be where I am than live an unconscious life or whatever. Yeah, it really is a calling out. It's an obvious, tangible sort of most, as Anita writes about the sensitive person, so many people that develop eating disorders are highly sensitive and intuitive. Yeah. And when you've been burned at the stake in a different life for being intuitive and (laughs) sensitive, you're sort of like, ah, I don't want to have that. But you know, I think that what you're talking about when you went back and the first thing you said is, I would tell her, I'm sorry you're going through this, that compassionate piece for what we have gone through is so beautiful. And I actually say, we are sorry the collective we, yeah, not just me as the grown-up right. version, but we, meaning everybody who contributed 
the society, all of it. We are sorry. It's not the way it was supposed to turn out. (laughs) Not at all. Not Not at all. all. But we're human. And this is like what we thought was a good idea at the time. Absolutely. (laughs) Even we didn't even plan it, but it just starts happening as an adaptation to what's going on. You have like a little time here to say whatever you're working on and whatever you want to put out into the world. Okay. And if you'd like me to take your audience through the little process of quick decoding. Let's do that. Okay. This is something that a client can do on their own. And then when I'm working with professionals, if I'm working with someone myself, I will do it with them first. And then this is something that they can take away. And it's a free gift to everybody in in writing. And I do also have an audio version of it. So there'll be a link that they can click on and get this for themselves. But I'll just take you through it. So it's just three questions. It's the crux of the decoding process. And it's in every of the decoding processes on any behavior. So it can apply to anything. And then I'll take them through a quick little future pace afterwards. So we first want to notice like, oh, we were just thinking about a behavior or just reaching for something. Oh, what just happened? What was the situation? Just you're in it. It's really easy when you're in it because it's, it's happening. Where did my attention go? What am I thinking about? Just expanding the awareness because conscious awareness has to be there before we can make any kind of changes. So three questions are one, what am I feeling right now in this moment? I'm in that reaching phase. Now that's the feeling that most people are uncomfortable with, want to get rid of. So it's going to be stress and anxiety and loneliness and all those things. And then where do you feel that in your body? And they know where it is because it's already loaded up. They're already feeling it. So it's easy to locate. And then there's a lot of work that I do with them about that feeling in their body to have them work with it, but they have to know where it is. So it's easy to access. Oh, I feel it in my stomach or my my chest or up here in my neck. And it helps to get a little bit of description about that. And then the next question is you have to have that feeling loaded up in order to get to the answer to the next question, which is, what do I really need right now? What is it that I really need on a deeper intrinsic level? If someone says, I need to get out and get some fresh air, and what will getting out and getting some fresh air do for you? (laughs) Yes. Right? So, oh, then I'd be relaxed. Oh, relaxed. Or that's what they're after. So now we've got the trigger emotion. We've got what they truly need. The next question is, how would I like to feel right now? If I could pick a feeling, what would that be? And it's usually something that's going to counteract that initial feeling, a sense of relief, calmness, um, comfort, appreciation. And so once they have that, having that positive feeling and the need, that's the reach. So what else? And we don't really go into that in this, but what happens is the mind will start thinking, gets programmed into the subconscious and the subconscious is going like, oh, where, where else do we do that? Right. And that's part of the longer decoding process, but that starts to percolate. So All we need to know is the answer to those three questions, because that increases the awareness and consciousness and helps the person to observe what's happening right in that moment on any behavior. And then the future pace is taking that positive feeling and the needs that are getting met. And I have the person shift their body a little bit and just imagine that you now have that positive feeling of, let's say it's comfort, comforting. You may remember a time, maybe a long time ago, but you remember a time when you truly felt comforted and truly relaxed. Let that come into your body now. Imagine yourself. Now look up to the right because that's where our brain is creating our future self. 
or composing something. Looking up to the right is that there were four quadrants, the right hand one, and seeing a future version of you having those feelings and getting that need met. What would that be like, that future version of you now having that? And have them just sit with that for a little bit. Just sit with that and notice how does that feel? What is she doing in her life? What is she experiencing? What is she thinking about now that she has this positive feeling and has that need met? How is that happening for her? And when she gets a felt sense of that, then come back to present time and notice how that feels. So when someone can feel the future version, that creates a sort of quantum leap. I have found that doing future pace after most sessions with someone they have a radical different view of themselves because they actually felt it. For most people, that area up there is a void. And when it's a void, it's the vacuum. They don't have anywhere to point their system toward their change and they're stuck in the present. So being able to see themselves, feel themselves, again, trusting the process, a lot of creative expression comes out of doing this process. Like, oh, what gives me that positive feeling and getting my need met is my painting. I haven't done that in years or dancing. Exactly. Opens up a whole world. It opens up a whole world. So decoding what we're doing is actually bringing in the creativity, the self-expression, the miracles. I just love it. Love it so much. And you are writing a book? I am writing a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm doing my courses. I'm writing a book. And after that is going to be a mobile app where people can access and take themselves through it. So great. Of course, it'll be like a huge group of professionals that they can draw from as part of that. But it's fun. Clients love it. They want, I want to do another one of those. And how nice is that in this kind of work? It's to be able to bring some joy into it. Yeah, something that works and something that they can do themselves, that they're not having to go to therapy for 25, 30 years, that they can learn to take care of themselves and get support if they need it for other stuff too, for sure. It's a beautiful thing. I love it so much. Thank you for sharing that with me. So I'm wondering if you would read that Today I Will practice. Today I will practice observing my thoughts feelings, and behaviors with a sense of detachment and curiosity. When I find myself doing a behavior I dislike, instead of judging myself, I will say, isn't that interesting? What's my experience now? Yes. And then they can go right into the other three questions. That's right. (laughs) It's exactly right of just asking yourself, what are you doing? What's happening? But it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Leading them into a much deeper knowing of themselves into, for most people, a spiritual awakening that's been waiting for them. And it's no longer the problem. The behavior is no longer the problem. It's actually the key to the solution. That's right. It's the doorway. It's the doorway. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes. And they can go to barbarabersinger.com and find the free gift there. You can go to barbarabersinger.com slash gift. So any last minute thing you'd like to say before we wrap it up? I would say trust that you will find what it is that you need. And it's just sitting in the asking. How beautiful is that? What else do we need? Really? Thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time and being on the show with me today. 
Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.